0: Well, hello, hello, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your cocktail commodore, master mixologist, and weekend wine guy. Thanks for joining me today and every Saturday right here on 570 KBI. I've got a fantastic show today. I'm so excited. Um, if you love sparkling wines, you must love champagne. If you love champagne, then you must know Krug. The House of Krug, one of the most famous houses throughout the world, uh, renowned as the greatest prestige brand uh, in, well, in a very crowded portfolio of brands with Renard and Dom Perignon and Cristal. But uh, I am so fortunate to have Julien Papin Le Allure, uh ici maintenant um, uh, <laughs> bonjour. Dans the studio. SV, bienvenue mon ami. Welcome to Merci. Seattle. Merci. thank you very much. Uh so you are the uh business development manager for Krug Champagne. And Krug Champagne is located in the town of Rance. Yes, correct. And uh, uh we had a fantastic uh tasting and some history. Um and I'm so excited that you're here to share this with our listeners on Happy Hour Radio. So, uh, Krug Champagne. Uh K R U G Four letters have never meant so much to the Champagne world. Tell me about the history. When did this start, and who is Krug? Well, Krug is a is a,
1: is a long story. It dates back to uh, 170 years ago, a bit more than 170 years ago, 1843, when Joseph Krug, the great-great-great-grandfather of Olivier Krug, who's uh, today in California, by the way, so not far away, oh. and Joseph Krug, his great-great-great-grandfather, was a German immigrant uh, born in 1800 in Mainz, in Germany today, and uh, arrived in France in 1824 and started working in Champagne in 1834. He was hired by uh, what was at the middle of the 19th century, the biggest house of Champagne called Jackson, well, Jackson. because you're a sommelier, you know today Jackson is a small grower brand, but at that, at that time it was the number one brand, even in front of Moët et Chandon, so imagine. So hired as an accountant, uh, and step by step, because he was very gifted, became the number two of that company, and uh, married the sister-in-law of the owner. <laughs> uh, Romancer and yeah, married Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, uh, 1842,
1: he had a son, uh, but in spite of that, in 1843, he quit everything he had to start his own uh, business, the uh, Krug Champagne House. Why? Because, uh, well, he, he was not satisfied with the quality of uh, champagne in general and he, he had a dream he had an idea that he could do something different and create a champagne that would not ex- that did not exist at that time and that today, uh, 170 years after uh, still hasn't been copied. So we say it uh, uh, would not be very objective to say we're the best because, well, of course, this is what I believe but I <laughs> work for Krug. <laughs> you could say it. it's happy yeah. time. All right, so uh, we are considered as one of the best champagnes. Um, His idea was that uh, uh, champagne being about pleasure, why do you have to wait for a good year to offer the best champagne? Mm. Because that's true about champagne. You have to wait for a good year to do what we call a vintage in champagne. So vintage years do not happen every year in champagne because (laughs) climate is crap (laughs) most of the time. (laughs) say this isn't Bordeaux. No, exactly. I mean, it's it's, it's, uh, very up north and it's very uh, windy, and it's very cold, and very humid. So you never get a perfect year every year. It's most likely every three or four years. Uh, And the rest of the time, what do you do? Well, champagne people invented the non-vintage, where it's a blend of different years, so you can get a consistent, but average quality compared to vintage. And he didn't agree with that. He said, well, for me, I have to offer the most undisputed quality but all the time, in every glass of my Krug Champagnes, be it vintage or non-vintage. And this is what sets Krug apart. And based on that vision, he had to quit uh, the, the, the <laughs> house he was working uh, for because the owners told him, no, well, the rules in Champagne, it's not like this. Champagne is about doing this non-vintage, you know, from, and from time to time, if you're lucky, nature gives you the possibility to do the best vintage. Well, at Krug, there is no best All champagnes are of the same quality, and that's that's what sets us apart.
0: It truly does set you apart, and uh, like I said, Krug, the House of Krug, um, is really if you're into sparkling wines, there's lots of sparkling wines in the world, and there are some really fine champagnes. Uh, And we all have those moments. Sometimes the best wine is the wine you have in your glass at that time and where you are. But at yesterday's tasting, I was really it was a profound tasting because Krug is about blending. You're blending these these wines to create one singular wine, mm-hmm. and tell me about that. I mean, it's a hundred. Well, we know it's basically three grapes: Chardonnay, Pinot Meunier, or excuse me, Meunier, Meunier, no, and yeah. uh, Pinot Noir. Um, but what makes Krug stand out truly is the complexity of your Grand Cru. Well.
1: When when Joseph, it all oh, oh, goes back to Joseph Krug, when he arrived in Champagne, he was coming from Riesling, and if you know a bit Riesling or Burgundy, these are places where, in the same village, you have many, many different plots, and if you look on, 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 on Google Earth, you, you zoom on Champagne, you will see that you have 320 crus or the 320 villages, but if you zoom even more, you will see you have 275,000 plots, so there are small gardens of vi- different rows of vineyards, and... Their size vary a lot. In Champagne, people blend the grapes together based at most, at the best, on the on the village, not on the plot plot approach, which is a grower approach. And at Krug, the idea of Joseph Krug was to say, well, it depends on the terroir and depending on the men. I don't want to blend ingredients I do not know. I want to respect uh. every terroir as if I was in wrestling and I want, I'm going to blend only at the very end. This is why in Grande Cuvee, you don't have only three grape varieties. Well, you do, but we go further into details. We don't have just Pinot Noir, Pinot uh, Meunier, sorry, <laughs> and Chardonnay. We have 134 in this Grand Cuvee, for instance, we're drinking now. Cheers. Um, yes. Um, we have 134 different individualities, 134 different plots that were selected by our cellar master and, and our four uh, winemakers and Olivier Krug, the tasting committee. They were selected during the year to be part of the of the blend of Grand Cuvee. So the idea of Grand Cuvee is the idea of Joseph Krug and it's only been enriched and perpetrated by the five following generations was to offer the fullest expression of champagne. Uh, something that you cannot achieve with only one year. Because in one year you have a specific climate and you when we do a vintage we try to be as loyal as we can to that story. Whereas with Grand Cuvee, what we try to give is the entire cellar
0: of Krug in just one bottle. I like that. I like that description, the entire cellar. And uh, it's truly important that when we talk, talk about Champagne, that we realize that all of these uh, Champagne houses are selecting uh, grapes and wine, creating wines from different parcels and different vineyards from the five regions in Champagne. Um, and what's specific is that Krug, you're actually aging this wine for seven years before it's yes. released?
1: Well, the Grand Cuvee, even though it's it's a uh, non-vintage, and uh, legally in in Champagne, the the aging before you release the bottle for a non-vintage is 15 months. Uh, that's the minimum you can you can uh, Yes, age. 15 months. 15 on months on the lease On the lees. On the lease before you disgorge your your bottle and you sell it to to the market. Well, at Krug, uh, the minimum aging for Grand Cuvee is about seven years, and typically the Grand Cuvee we're drinking now. Uh, the youngest wine in, in this bottle is from 2005, but what's even more interesting is that the oldest is from 1990. So whenever you drink a bottle of Grand Cuvée, you, you definitely know that it takes more than 20 years to craft.
0: It's it's amazing because it certainly is one of the most complex and still delicious wines. When we talk about complexity, it's easy to get caught up in the acidity of Champagne. Mm. But uh, the layers of flavor with the brioche and the marzipan and or the, just the almonds uh, and the toasty, toasty notes are fantastic. The expression of, of Krug Champagne just lingers on the palate. It's just a delicious and, and pleasant mouthfeel. Talk about pleasure. <laughs> There's a lot of pleasure in this bottle. Well, that was the idea. The idea is that,
1: uh, uh, let me tell you my personal experience, uh, I've been in the champagne industry for quite some time, and when I joined Krug uh, about four years ago, I had this tasting with Olivier Krug, and uh, I told him, you know what, this is the first time that I'm drinking a champagne first that stays on the palate forever, and secondly, is, uh, is the first time I, I find the balance between the finesse, the elegance, and at the same time, the generosity. Because what I find in, in Krug is that it really fills your palate. It's everywhere. It's like an explosion, yet at the same time, it's not too. You could think it's too winy, or you you know, eating the champagne like it's too much. There, it's the perfect balance. And I thought w- when I was in Champagne that Champagne was on one side or the other. Mm. I, you had the, the the refinement, the crispiness of the Chardonnay on one side, and you could be more on the opulence and something quite generous, heavy sometimes, or for the Pinot Noir. It was my first impression when I arrived in Champagne. And I said, you know what? With Grand Cuvee, I think I have found the perfect
0: balance. So it's hard for me to go back. Now. <laughs> <laughs> You've been spoiled yes. just as I am here on Happy Hour Radio speaking with Julien Pepin, Le Allo, the brand uh, business development manager for Krug Champagne. And I understand that Krug's first vintage was 1848. Um, they came out with a Grand Cuvee. Uh, but Krug also has... Really five wines, but three that are in the marketplace that are, that are readily available. Well, not so readily, but aspire to grab these. Uh, you have the Grand Cruve. You, uh, this vintage release is called the 2000, the 2000 vintage Krug. And then, oh, you have a Rosé. So tell me about the 2000 vintage. Uh, as I recall, um, there's a lot of hype about the year 2000 because, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody wanted to sell something for New Year's, but how was the vintage truly in Champagne?
1: The vintage 2000 was a, was a special vintage in the way that it was a very hot year. It was the uh, hottest year since 1945, in average. But the difference with other years, maybe, is that we didn't have any heat waves. Whenever a heat wave was coming up, you had a storm Despite that would cool, yeah, yeah. cool down the atmosphere. And, but the thing is, it was a very stressful year for growers because you had a lot of hailstorms, especially in August. The deadliest of all uh, hailstorms was on the 15th of August. It destroyed most of the Chardonnay in the Côte des Blancs. And we were very lucky because most of the Crook vineyards were not hit too bad, only about 30% loss. And the consequence of that is that the grapes remaining were very opulent. And uh, we called, we called, uh, we nicknamed, well, the winemaking team nicknamed that uh, vintage uh, Stormy Indulgence. Because (laughs) we had a lot of storms in, uh, in 2000, about 45, that's the record ever. But uh, the remaining grapes were very greedy, very indulgent, and my very f- greedy, greedy, huh? greedy yeah. gourmand we say in French, oh, sure gourmand. Non. So, what you get on your glass is is a, is a vintage that's uh, very opulent. It's quite directional. If you had the Grand Cuvier first, mm-hmm. that was everywhere. This is like a corridor. It's like a train. It hits the back of your palate with a, with a freshness you could call it acidity, but for most consumers acidity s- sounds like vinegar right so i I prefer to use the freshness uh so a lot of freshness, a lot of citrus fruit, but at the same time you have a lot of uh, marzipan again uh the almond paste it's like entering a bakery in france and you have <laughs> a, you have a, you know these uh, uh toastiness the, the,
0: the butter notes. yeah and the, the butter the notes, flaky exactly. Notes. Fantastic, you're right. So Grand Cuvée um, is such a premium experience. It certainly washes around the palate. It fills the mouth with with great balance. It's like a blanket of of, of beautiful pleasure and flavor. The uh, 2000 vintage champagne is certainly more directional, as you say. The attack is more straightforward. It has a little more body. Uh, it Has just a a little weightier wine, um, but the the texture is more full. Mm. It's a richer wine, and it's truly what's what I like about the experience is that. They're both fantastic in the mouth, but you can certainly appreciate the uh, personality of the 2000 vintage.
1: I think you you get it totally. Uh, what the winemaking team tries to do when they declare a vintage is to be as true as possible as the climate uh, to the climate of the year. So their goal is to select maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 wines, 60 different plots that all go in the same direction and are, that are very characteristic of the year. This is why it's much more intense, because it's like musicians playing the same song, all playing in the same direction. Whereas Grand Cuvee would be more like a full orchestra, and they're all different inst- instruments, but they all add up to the symphony. Uh, like the triangle or the or the violin, they, they play different uh, songs, at the same time, but they uh, add up to right. the symphony. So one is about the breadth; It's about being everywhere. The other one is about telling you the story of the year. So, of course, it's more intense.
0: Well, and we can find all this information on Krug.
1: The krug uh, krug.com, but we came up also with the Krug ID app. Because on the back label of your, uh, of your bottles, of all Krug bottles in September 2011, you have a Krug ID uh, six digits.
0: Excellent. Well, when we come back from this break, we'll chat about the Krug ID and all the information at Krug.com. Speaking with Julien Papin, Le Allo, brand ambassador for Krug. So stick around on Happy Hour Radio. We're popping some bubbles and having a good time. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. Hey, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. It doesn't get much happier than this. And you know what? We've uh, coined a new term, a new phrase. A new word for happy is called K-R-U-G. Here with Julien Papin, le, le, the business development director for Krug Champagne. And Julian, you were just telling me about um, this unique technological invention that's called the Krug ID. Tell me about this.
1: Well, it's uh, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. It's an invention. It's a revolution that was uh, instigated by our president, Maggie Enriquez. She arrived in uh, at Krug five years ago, and she was a bit frustrated that you didn't have the story of cru grand Cuvee on a bottle or nowhere and she said well we have digital let's do something let's let's write something on a, on each bottle of cru grand Cuvee and now on each bottle of crooks in september 2011 where people can actually read directly and get a milestone so you have six digit that reads like Let's, let me use Let's grab bit. the rosé because uh, we. The c- grab the rosé one. So rosé, it's, it says one thirteen zero sixteen, and if you read one thirteen, is the first quarter of two thousand thirteen, which is the time when the bottle received the final cork. Mm. Technically speaking, disgorgement. Degom- d- Degorgement. D-gorgement. Right. But uh, so it gives you a timeline, and it tells you when the bottle was released from our sellers. More or less, mm-hmm. uh, because you have no vintage on the bottle, so people didn't know if it was a young one or, or an old oh, rose. So that's okay. one thing. But even more important, that you have the story on the on the bottle. If you go on Krug.com or if you download the Krug ID app, which is available on the App Store now and, and on the, oh, an Android, at the yeah, an Android at the end, yeah, an Android. I'm gonna I think at the end of the month, uh, download the Krug ID app and you will discover. All the story behind your bottle, you will know what's inside. The youngest wine, the oldest wine, the blend, and you have a full page by Eric Lebel or Cellarmaster who tells you what were the challenges.
0: Cellarmaster is Eric Lebel. Eric Lebel has okay. been there since 1998. Well, I have a glass of the Cru Rosé, which is a very beautiful, uh, just an off pink patina. It's a little bit of salmon meets coral meets that sunset. Uh, which we've seen in Seattle. Tell me what the Krug ID says for this rosé, if you've got it So for
1: this rosé, if I read you the story of your bottle by Eric Lebel, our chef de cave, it says, this bottle left the Krug Cellars to receive the cork in winter 2012. This is the last step after over six years of aging in the cellars, gaining finesse and elegance. And Krug Rosé is the only prestige cuvee rosé blended from a rich palette of wines from three great varieties and several different vintages, the youngest being from 2006, and it's combined with a very expressive skin fermented Pinot Noir wine, which provides unparalleled color and spiciness. It's an un- unprecedented champagne and by with the same creative spirit that goes into Crook Grande Cuvée,
0: beyond the very notion of vintage. And it goes on f- and on and on because <laughs> it so, writes down a full page. Well, that's fantastic. I think that's great to have actual story because… W- we often overlook, we look at the label and then sort of read into a bunch of things. But to have the cellar master to know exactly when that bottle was disgorged, um, is really special in Champagne because I think the disgorgement date, as we talked about earlier, it just adds so much complexity, the layers of flavor. And this rose is a beautiful wine. Um, I'm so impressed to actually have the opportunity to taste the three great, uh, lines of, of Krug, the Cuvée, the Vintage 2000, and the Rose, because they are uniquely different, but there is a, th- a great similarity of these wines, of an expectation of elegance and sophistication polish. The flavor profile is fantastic. It's, um, it's just delicious. I, <laughs> thank you. I know. Yeah. Good job there, Julian. <laughs> I'll tell Eric When I come back. <laughs> yeah. Give him my best. Well, very cool. Um, this Krug Rose. So if we can find these at, uh, McCarthy and Shearing, I imagine, and perhaps Wine World mm-hmm. and our friends at Esquin. So uh, it's available. If you have not had the Krug experience yet, you must. And download the Krug app. Uh, it's called the uh, Krug ID app. Krug ID app. And uh, tell me quickly about this rose champagne in your perspective.
1: Well, in my perspective, it's a very surprising rose. Uh, I would say it's one of my favorites, but it's one of my favorite with food. I would say that's that's the gastronomic side of Krug. Crook is well known by chef or sommelier to pair easily with any kind of food because you have many different individualities in the in the in each bottle. But the rosé side. Uh, when you first drink it, you you have a lot of sensuality. It's uh, very silky. It's very refined and elegant. But I mean, if you activate it with what we had typically yesterday, the the duck,
0: the duck, the, the canard, I mean, yeah,
1: the canard, the, the blood of the duck activated the spiciness of the rosé, and uh, that's really something I recommend. It's, it's I think it's a good alternative uh, to some uh, red wine on on the, on the meat. So any kind of meat, but poultry, I would say, and uh, probably veal is the best. Uh, is the best uh, match.
0: This is, truly is um, probably the most fantastic sparkling food wine I've ever had. It, it just finishes so much like a red wine, but it is so delicate and beautiful like a champagne. Okay. Well, uh, such a treat to have you, Julien Pepin, Le Allure, uh the business development director for Krug Champagne. Uh, such a treat. I hope everyone in Seattle gets a chance to taste Krug. And thanks to Southern Wine and Spirits for joining me today. Um, and thank you for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Well,
1: thanks for the opportunity. Thank you very much.
0: Well, we continue our Wine of Kings campaign here on Happy Hour Radio. And I've got the next Kingly wine, King Estate from Oregon. Uh, the Northwest Regional Sales Manager is Mister Edward Holmes, and Edward Holmes, welcome to Happy Hour. Uh, good to be here, Christopher. Uh, excited about uh, the wine of Kings. Uh, Krug was great, but let's uh, let's try something from our little South region, something closer to home. King Estate, tell me about the uh, origin of King Estate Winery.
2: Sure. Well, you know, uh, King Estate's family owned. Has been started in nineteen ninety one with uh, Ed King Jr. Ed the second, and his son Ed the third. Uh, had a fantastic um, run in aeronautical electronics uh, navigation and communications uh, on King Radio, not to be confused with radio communications uh, outside of aeronautical uh, or aerospace. Uh, In looking to depart from that, they they knew they wanted a legacy uh, industry to carry forth the King name and wine was something they both took a great passion and enjoyment in. At that point, Ed III was living in Eugene um, and actually was looking for vineyard land throughout the Willamette Valley uh, and was answering an ad for hay for, uh, for horses for his ranch and came down south, south of Eugene, about 26 miles, uh, and came across this southeast facing slope. Uh, it was picturesque, gorgeous. Guy had been the heart- farming hay on it for about 70 years. (laughs) Uh, Some terroir on that hay. Totally, yeah. And uh, it had been, you know, turn of the century, it was denuded, old-growth fir. um, Happens to be uh, one of the few areas of bell pine soil. It was was left perfectly intact and contiguous. Uh, And long story short, Ed ends up buying and putting together a 1,033-acre rectangle um, right on Territorial Highway outside of... Town being a strong word of of Lorraine, which is essentially a, a post uh, office Lorraine, box. Yeah, yeah, Lorraine, and a uh, and a great um, great convenience store. If you're looking for out of date hosted hostess snacks and, uh, and 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 beer and, and <laughs> that gas. old, yeah, that old. Uh, and and built the winery. Um, integrity, quality, and craftsmanship are, are the backbone and the foundation of what King State's all about. Um, he and his family embody that, and they put that into the wines, and and have since day one. We've, we've been very fortunate. We've been considered the, the benchmark of Oregon Pinot Gris and domestic Pinot Gris.
0: Yes, that uh, you know that bottle of Pinot Gris goes way back into the early '90s, and I remember it. And um, you know, it's one of the most consistently quality. Uh, the- Oregon industry is obviously grown a lot, just like Washington. Sure. And, uh, um, I almost think that Oregon was there first, though, even though it wasn't, but the story <laughs> is cuter with David Lett and all that. But, uh, Oregon Pinot Gris come a long way. Um, but I want to say this. It's, it's easy to overlook the names you see all the time because we want to chase new and, and try something different. But when, uh, I just tasted the, the King Estate, which I haven't a lot because there's so many wines to taste, but, I'll reach for this. This is, this is a classic Oregon Pinot Gris. And I tell you, the Court of Master Sommiers talks about Oregon Pinot Gris being classic, but we had a challenge to find stuff that we can go, oh yeah, consistently the way we want it to taste. Cause you've got that great, uh, uh, fruit profile. So, um, Pinot Gris is one of the many wines you produce. You also produce Pinot Noir, but it's just the two Pinots.
2: We, uh, we do a small amount of Chardonnay that we recently just got a, a 90 point rating from, from the Wine Enthusiast. And uh, I'm sorry, Wine and Spirits magazine. It's absolutely delicious, but small amount. We maybe do about 400 cases. Gris and Noir are truly the backbone of the winery. Um, and it's something that, again, uh, the pride and integrity of the family is in every bottle. And it's pretty interesting. You know, we have a, a library that goes back to our very first vintage. And our winemaking staff uh, and our sales staff will periodically go back through and, and taste and comparatively taste and look at notes um, about vintage, about yield, and about flavor profile, and we're trying to keep our quality and our understanding of what
0: it is we're bringing to the market um, integral year in and year out. And the first vintage was 1991, correct? And that was both for red and white. That's, That's correct. Both Pinots, mm-hmm. very cool. And uh, what I didn't know, and it's it's always. Uh, um, a revelation here on Happy Hour Radio is that the King Estate was really a family, and yeah, you, know, you think about that name you're like, ah, someone made that up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh you know, the the King family is very much a family. Uh, Ed King III, um, Edward King III, Edward King III, Edward King III, uh, is a spectacular guy, he's got such a zeal and such a, a, l- a love for for his wine and for what he's bringing to the market. He's there. I mean, if you look at our sales and marketing team, it's a whopping 11 people, uh 12 if you in- include Ed and you have to because he's <laughs> I mean, he's there and his name's on every bottle. Uh he has three sons um all of which are involved in the winery. Um, and all of which really just, just leap into it.
0: Awesome. awesome. I'm speaking with Mr. Edward Holmes, Re- Northwest Regional Sales Manager for kingestate.com. We've got a bevy of wines. There's so much wine in the city right now, uh, I need a raft. There's Noah's Ark coming down the pipe. Uh, hey, stick around here on Happy Hour Radio. Um, if you want to send us a tweet, it's at Radio, and I'm sure we got one for King Estate. So uh, we'll be right back after this break on Happy Hour Radio.